Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joan. On today's episode, we have our interview with Dr. Dan Fredholm, who is a clinical veterinarian who worked at Animal Kingdom and who you may know from the Disney Plus series, The Magic of Disney's Animal Kingdom. I am so excited for you to get to hear this. It was an incredible interview. Loved it. Grab your kids. Grab anybody who could use some motivation. He was a really fantastic interview. We haven't interviewed somebody in a while, and it just really brought back my passion for like interviewing and talking to people that you know have connections to Disney. Yeah, uh, we get into a lot with with Dr. Dan on how he became a veterinarian, kind of what a day is like of a zoo veterinarian because it's very different than you know just kind of like your regular vet that's you know working with dogs and cats. They're working with a wide variety of animals. I mean, imagine going from yeah. you know a tiger to a zebra to, to an antelope, yeah, to a sea turtle. <laughs> like, so, so it's great. It's and, and you know, we get into you know what it was like filming the magic of Disney's Animal Kingdom, what it was like working at Animal Kingdom. Uh, you know, he's now at the the San Diego Zoo, so we which kind is of, also an amazing yeah, zoo. Yeah, so we get into that. And and to your point, it's just really inspirational too about mm-hmm. just you got to put in a lot of work to care for these animals, and it's it's impressive to hear the passion he has for caring yes. for these animals and all that goes into you know keeping these animals healthy and safe uh, so that we can i mean for lack of a better term just kind of enjoy them at these zoos right exactly and you know this is a good one to share with people maybe your friends that don't like disney but love animals because i mean it's definitely disney oriented but there's a lot there that just a an animal lover would really get into it's it's a it's a great interview it is sorry <laughs> if i all do right. say so myself all right without further ado let's get into the interview welcome dr dan how are you today thank you very much uh i'm doing really well how are you guys doing, doing great well. appreciate you better now <laughs> <laughs> you're too kind <laughs> so let's start with uh why you decided to become a vet so can you kind of maybe take us through that journey of when you knew you wanted to become a veterinarian and, and kind of uh, you know, the steps you went through uh, to kind of get to that point. Sure. Yeah. It's, um, it's actually an interesting story. Uh, I was a little bit late to the game, as it would turn out. Uh, a lot of my colleagues who are veterinarians kind of always knew that they wanted to be a vet. Um, I always knew that I wanted to be involved in science or a science-related field. It was uh, the thing that interested me the most as a kid. Um, but to be honest, I initially thought I was going to go into marine biology. That was my my first love or my first interest, I guess you'd say. Um, and then I found out that marine biology isn't just uh, hanging around in the ocean and looking at dolphins <laughs> and you know other other things of that nature. There's there's much more to it. So uh, then I, I became very interested in, in human medicine. Uh, I was actually in undergrad going the route of being a physician. Ultimately, it was kind of a little twist of fate. I uh, in between my sophomore year and my junior year of undergrad, I was uh, landscaping. I was making a little extra money <laughs> as a landscaper. And uh, a couple of my buddies were doing it with me. And and I think we all realized pretty quickly that it's uh, a fairly uncomfortable job. It's hot. It's, uh, yeah. it's It doesn't pay a whole lot. And um, I was looking for something else. And I, and I really basically drove up and down the street looking for uh, help wanted ads. And as it turned out, I drove past a veterinary clinic and something lit up inside my brain. And all of a sudden I was like, well, gosh, I like science. I like animals. I'm, I'm interested in medicine. Why wouldn't I look into this? So fast forward 
we are here now and I'm a veterinarian. Um, I started working as a, as a kennel attendant, you know, uh, cleaning up all of the, <laughs> the things that you have to clean up as a tenel, kennel <laughs> attendant. Um, and it, it just sort of gradually grew from there. I became more and more uh, interested in and involved in veterinary medicine. And ultimately, I changed my major when I went back to uh, Boston University for my junior year in undergrad. Um, so that's how it all kind of happened. Uh, I, I didn't actually know I wanted to be a vet until I sort of fell into it. Um, and similarly, you know, I didn't actually know that I wanted to be a zoo vet until fairly late in the game as well. I mean, I, I went to vet school thinking I would do dogs and cats. I was um, All my experience was pretty much in domestic animals uh, and companion animals. And, uh, and then I got, again, I sort of accidentally uh, was exposed to wildlife medicine and what it means to work with free-ranging species of wildlife. How did you accidentally get exposed to that? <laughs> well, um, you know, I was taking a course in my senior year of vet school. And once you get to your senior year in vet school, you start doing clinical work. So you're actually mm -hmm. out there touching animals. Um, and there was one rotation, which was wildlife medicine. Um, I had not done anything with wildlife up until that point in my training. And I thought, well, this is pretty cool. Um, so I so I signed up for it and everybody wanted this class. So I was lucky enough to grab a spot. And from that point forward, I realized, oh, this is, this is what I really want to do. This is where all of my passion is. Um, so it just goes to show you, you, you should never be closed-minded towards opportunities. Mm -hmm. You know, I had, I just sort of tunnel visioned and stayed the the course I was going, I probably would have a great life as well and be just as happy. But I don't know that I'd be quite as enriched with passion in what I do. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's my story. <laughs> See, that's fantastic. Because I, I always think of it from an educator's point of view, I'm a teacher. So I, you know, I sometimes think that it's really hard for kids, because not all kids know what they want to do growing up. I didn't know when I was growing up. And I always felt like people who are really good at their jobs, they must know from the second that they're, you know, you know, like a little kid, but I feel like I managed to stumble into a really great profession for me. And it sounds like you did that as well. So any kids listening, you don't have to know what you want to do right now. Yeah. Keep an open mind. You never know. Like maybe it's better not to know, right? You keep your mm -hmm. options open. You, you realize there's something good out there that you never would have thought of. Exactly. What would you say a typical day is like as a veterinarian at a zoo? Because it seems like it's chaos, <laughs> but, <laughs> but may, I'm sure it's a lot more planned out than that, but it seems like you, I mean, you worked with so many different animals. I know I saw from the documentary, I was counting them and they're just an, an insane amount. Sea animals, animals that live in this, like that can fly. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, you know, um, I think you've hit the nail on the head. There is a massive amount of variety, right? Mm -hmm. Every day truly is different in some way. You know, they may resemble each other, but every day is a little different because of that inherent variety in the job. Um, and, and honestly, that's the reason, one of the reasons I like it so much. I, I tend to not want to do the same thing every single day over and over again. So uh, I, I truly thrive with that variety. Um, but you're right. There uh, also comes a bit of chaos with that. Um, I like to say it's organized chaos. You know, everyone throws that word around. Um, I, we tend to plan a lot. 
we do. We have to make sure that we plan our days out in advance, but we also have to be extremely flexible. At the end of the day, the animals are who determine what our day looks like. Um, Oftentimes there are planned procedures and it's exactly what you think is going to happen, but also there's emergencies. Things come up out of the blue that you don't expect and your whole day gets changed. Or maybe it's not an emergency, but maybe the animal you had planned to do uh, a procedure on, maybe that animal didn't really want to come in that day and is still hanging out in uh, the savanna. And so you say, well, I guess we'll do that tomorrow. You know, there are choices that are made by the animals as well. um, And we have to respect those. Do you specialize at all? Because to me, I think it would be so difficult to one day be working on like a tiger, like a large (laughs) cat like that. And then the next day you have a small bird or, you know, something like that. I mean, do you kind of learn about every animal or do you, you know, somewhat specialize to a certain extent? No, you know, uh, the go-to phrase I use a lot is we, we do everything or our patients are everything from hamsters or uh, naked mole rats, you know, that fit in our hand to elephants and giraffe, right? Anywhere in between. And so you do, um, you do need to be able to switch gears mentally pretty easily. Um, The way that I approach a case in an iguana is not going to be the way I approach uh, a case in a rhinoceros, for example. Um, And so you have to be a little bit nimble in terms of recognizing, okay, even though maybe two species have the same physiological problem, maybe they're sick with the same thing, you might have to approach them totally different ways because of the species you're dealing with. So, um, you know, to answer your original question, we uh, we call our spe- ourselves specialists in zoological medicine, so um, I'm board certified in that specialty. So uh, in a way, we are specialists just by being zoo vets, but mm-hmm. I-, I think a lot of us refer to ourselves as the ultimate generalists, too. We <laughs> we need to know a little about almost everything. Every animal, mm-hmm. right. Um, and that is, I think, as you could probably assume, very challenging. Yeah. And it's and honestly, it's impossible. You can't know everything about every animal. No one does. Right. There's mm-hmm. things we're discovering every day. But we try to know a little bit. You, um, you need to be familiar with their anatomy and physiology. How animals are related to each other is actually extremely important because you may not have, for example, a scientific study that guides you on a disease in animal A, but maybe animal B, which is somewhat related to that species, there is information on. And so you kind of have to be aware of taxonomy as well and, and how they're phylogenetically related to each other. So there is, there's a ton of information. Uh, I When you're getting ready to take board, board uh, the board exam for your specialty, we would joke that, you know, you you can't cram anything else in there because then things start leaking out <laughs> the other side. Um, I, I tell people a story which is not made up at all. When I was in the thick of my studying for boards, I was out to <laughs> eat at a restaurant and I couldn't remember the word spoon. I, I, the waitress <laughs> asked me if I needed anything. I said, can I have one of those... Um, Oh, and, you know, how embarrassing is it when you can't come up with the name of a simple piece of uh, cutlery or something like that? But uh, my point is there's a lot to remember. Um, and mm-hmm. so we do our best. You will find that some zoo vets do sort of micro specialize or they find little niches within the zoo medicine community that either they're very passionate about or they just sort of fall into. Um, mine 
has uh, ultimately become hoof care. So um, I'm very I'm very interested and passionate about ungulates, which are animals that have hooves. Part of that is sort of happenstance, where we we have patients who have hooves who have problems with their hooves, and someone needs to fix them. Uh, and I tended to find that very inherently interesting. So I became more and more uh, motivated to learn more about it. Uh, I sort of became the in-house expert within clinics. And so when you go with that strategy, now you can have a zoo that has six or eight veterinarians, but each of them has their own little um, niche, has their own passion. So maybe it's dentistry, maybe it's hoof care, maybe it's um, surgery. There's uh, a lot of examples of that within the zoo community where even though you do have to know a lot or maybe a little about everything, you can dive a little deeper on certain topics or certain areas of zoo medicine. And now you're the the expert in that specific <laughs> thing in zoo medicine. Um, I think people say the more and more you learn about something, the less and less you know about everything else, you become hyper-specialized <laughs> in one thing. Right. Um, so that's, we don't necessarily have extra certifications. I do know some zoo vets who have done a second residency and they've become double board certified. Um, oh my goodness. Those are gluttons for punishment. Yes. I, uh, <laughs> I think that those are individuals that probably uh, are considered overachievers. Uh, but I don't say that with any envy because I tell you what, sometimes I even think, gosh, wouldn't it be cool to go back to school? Wouldn't it be cool to be able as an adult to have all the life experience and then mm-hmm. actually, I don't, I don't know about you guys, when I was in school, yeah. I, I didn't realize what I was not learning because the yeah. perspective you have once you get out is totally different yeah. than when you're in right. the classroom. Yeah. You don't realize how much you don't know at, at that right. time. Yeah. I always say that like your schooling kind of comes at, I mean, the right time, but also the wrong time, because as I'm talking about like social studies or something, I'm like, this was so boring when I was a kid, but I love it now. <laughs> so I try to like get that passion out there now, but I'm sure the kids just think I'm crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, it's important to always want to learn as a vet in in particular, it's important to be a lifelong learner. You You always need to want to learn more about something um, because it's always evolving. The the industry and the field of veterinary medicine is always changing and evolving. So you have to be able to keep up. So it's good to want to learn. What are some of your favorite and more difficult animals to work with? Favorite and more difficult? Um, well, so for favorite animals, it is a tricky question because uh, I, I have a hard time picking favorites in general. Like I said before, I like variety. And so I, I, tr- I try to see the value in lots of different things. But um, I, like I said, I do enjoy the hooved creatures. Uh, I like ungulates in particular. But I have always had a, a certain fondness for rhinoceros. Um, They're so cute. <laughs> they, they are, right? You know, people don't realize how cute a rhinoceros can be. You think of a rhino and you think, oh, a big pointy horn, mm-hmm. thick skin, but they are very personable. They they really are. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I like rhinos. I, I've always sort of put them up there. In terms of ones uh, that are more challenging, uh, you know, working with the zoo species has its own set of challenges that forces you to be a little creative, but I can't say that I have any that jump to the front of my mind as being, you know, uh, 
a bad patient or a, a a less favorite patient. You know, it's it's the ones that you really like that stick out. I have a hard time thinking of any that I wouldn't want to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, even ones that, even species, for example, maybe that I've never worked with before, which can be a little intimidating. It's also exciting, right? You know, it's yeah. something you've never done, and and sometimes you may only work with a species once in your whole career. Um, right. So I've sort of learned to not not poo-poo any of the species and, and uh, find the, the fun and value in all of them. So like if you were to work with a species that you'd never worked with before, like say it's a cassowary and would you then, you know, go home that night and like look them up or I mean, and figure out more about them or just say, okay, well, I've worked on, you know, other flightless birds before. So I'm going to kind of take that knowledge and apply it. Like what would be your sort of process for that? Great question. Yeah, it, it's actually kind of a combination. Um, cassowaries are super cool, by the way. Great example. <laughs> Their eggs are lime green. It's really neat. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, partly, yes, do a little extra studying. The reality is the zoo community is a fairly small professional community. Um, and so it's fairly common for us to be in touch with each other. I know I know veterinarians at other zoos all over the country and, and in other countries, and we're all well connected with each other. So it's not uncommon, for example, on an email listserv to have a zoo vet email a whole bunch of other zoo vets and say, hey, this mm-hmm. is the case that I'm dealing with right now. Has anyone else seen something similar? Um, does anyone have any recommendations or tips? So the zoo community itself is uh, really, really open and supportive to each other. Um, But there's also, just like in any other medicine, there's scientific journals, there's textbooks, there's there's other uh, sources of information that you definitely want to make sure that you're familiar with. And that's actually part of the board certification process is you get tested on the last five years of scientific literature that's been published. and that's a lot of papers. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! I can imagine that's, I, that I, sounds I intense. Can't. And then now, I just can't. thinking back of people you saying going to get certified again, yeah. it's like you must have an incredible memory. I can't remember what I had like three hours ago and to eat. So I don't know. I don't know how you do it. It's uh, yes, I think that there's a there's a certain skill set that comes with being in school for so long you mm-hmm. you do kind of get forced to be, have a good memory but uh, you know if you're passionate about something i think that was my biggest trick or yeah. or tip to studying for those exams is i would find the thing about that paper that i found cool i would and and mm-hmm. it's not always easy right some <laughs> if you if you're reading scientific literature it can be a little dense it can be a little heavy um, but if you can find something about that topic that truly interests you or at least piques your curiosity then it's usually har- uh, easier to focus and put the time into learning about it again That's it's, really it's not always tip. possible not always possible but <laughs> it, i try to do that when i can i guess switching gears maybe a little bit to talked about you know, why you became a vet, uh, a little bit about what you do kind of day to day. Um, so you, you did work at Disney. Um, so how did you wind up at Disney? Was that something you had a goal set or is it kind of like when you became a vet, it was kind of just maybe something you stumbled on? Oh, no, there was a goal for sure. Um, okay. I, uh, again, prefacing it with that I was a little late to the process of becoming a vet and becoming a zoo vet. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think I had all of my hopes and dreams outlined um, 
as early as maybe some others. But when I did uh, finally decide I did want to be a zoo vet, I knew that there were two organizations or institutions that I absolutely put as the highest on my list of places I wanted to ultimately end up. Um, and Disney was the number one on that list. Um, as it so happens, the number two was San where Diego I Zoo. currently <laughs> <Yep>. work. <laughs> so um, I knew I knew those were my targets. Now, did I think that I would have an opportunity to do that? Uh, yes, but I didn't think it would happen for quite a while. I thought mm -hmm. that more likely when I finished my residency, I would go out into the world and find a job uh, at a zoo somewhere and work and eventually maybe the opportunity would show up that I could apply for a job at Disney or San Diego. As it turns out, when I was doing my training, uh, my residency was through the University of Florida. And uh, at the time, there was a part of that residency training which actually occurred at Disney um, oh, down cool. at the Animal Kingdom as well as Epcot. And so it was also a big reason that I wanted to do that residency because I knew mm -hmm. that that Disney portion existed. Uh, and so I did my full residency, finished that after three years. And then there was a, an additional year of time working with the clinicians at Disney. Um, and about halfway through my uh, fourth year of that training program, uh, they opened up a position. They created a new position. And I said, well, I have to apply. I mean, I, <laughs> I can't not apply to this job. Yeah, right. um, and I didn't think I would get it. Uh, I hoped I would get it, but I didn't think I would realistically. And uh, as it turned out, I did. And the rest is history. Wow. Oh, that's great. That's incredible. I mean, anybody who knows anything about zoos knows that like San Diego's number one. <laughs> Disney's pretty high up there. And then we always uh, we like to go to different zoos, too. The, the ones in Ohio are very, very nice. They have a ton of great zoos. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Yeah, I've been I've only been to the Columbus Zoo. I have not been anywhere mm -hmm. else. But okay. Cincinnati is really nice, too. I'll have it on my list to go check it out. Yeah, it's, it's a nice <laughs> zoo, too. <laughs> so I, I could imagine, you know, working at Disney, that, that being a theme park as well as a zoo probably presents some unique challenges that you don't get at just like a San Diego zoo or something like that, where it's, it's a zoo though. San Diego is pretty big. So yeah. maybe that's not a, a great example, but, but what, I mean, what is it like working at a theme park slash zoo? So where, I mean, almost your patients are essentially characters on stage. Yeah. They're cast members as well. That you're kind of, you know, dealing with. That's a really interesting way to to look at it, um, and I I actually think that question is pretty insightful um, because uh, I think there's layers to the answer. I think that um, you know superficially, most people could probably come up with differences between what a a, a prototypical zoo um, looks like and feels like compared to a theme park, right? Uh, you say mm -hmm. theme park and it brings to mind uh, maybe, you know, traditional images of, of big crowds of people and towering steel roller coasters and water, water park rides. And um, probably most notably not a whole lot to do with animals. So the nice thing is that with, with animal kingdom, it's a theme park, but it's a theme park that where the theme is the animals, the theme yeah. revolves around those. And so, um, you know, for anyone who's been, when you walk in, you, you go from the parking lot and you, you go through the crowds and lines of people. And all of a sudden you're in this 
oasis area, right? Like you're transported to a totally different feeling. And so you, you can't help but think about the natural world, right? Like you, you can't really be in animal kingdom, at least for part of the time without thinking about animals and thinking about conservation. Mm -hmm. And so counterintuitively in a, in a weird way, Working in that setting actually provides, I think, a different kind of opportunity for for a person like me, um, a zoo vet, to make an impact on a guest. And and I guess what I mean by that is your average guest at a theme park is probably not going there with conservation of endangered species on their mind, or maybe even with anything about animals or nature on their mind. And yet, now you have a bunch of people who are coming to Disney they're, um, you know, they, they may or may not be interested in learning more about animals and conservation and wildlife. Um, maybe their, their big thing is the rides and the attractions or the characters, uh, but they have that park hopper pass. So they come to um, Animal Kingdom and now, now I have an opportunity, right? I have an opportunity to take that individual who maybe wasn't really thinking about learning about <laughs> conservation <laughs> and before they know it now they're interested in conservation they've learned something about an animal that they never knew before uh, maybe they didn't even know that zoo veterinarians existed i don't know um so it's almost like there's an there's an opportunity there to take a, a subset of uh people who come to you and maybe educate maybe just open their eyes to something that you you probably wouldn't be able to do at another theme park. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a theme park, but I didn't really even, I guess, think of it like that until uh, probably right about now when you asked that question, <laughs> you know, because it doesn't, and don't get me wrong, there are definitely roller coasters. There's definitely a water ride there, but it's not necessarily what comes to the forefront. It's not the main theme. I always think it's really interesting how, you know, even when you're there, it seems like it's such a great it seemed like such a great environment. It seems like a great environment to work into. I mean, it's interesting how everyone gets involved. Um, you know, the people going around cleaning up the park, they will stand in front of the animal enclosures and talk about it. Like I've had a lot of really good conversations about the otters with the man, you know, who goes and cleans in front of that area. It's just, it's so wonderful that everybody gets involved in that conservation message. And they're able to, like you said, you know, they have a captive audience in a way. And so they're able to kind of help press that message and maybe hopefully change some minds or make somebody think about the choices that they make. Yeah. I mean, that, that was always my hope. And, and, you know, that was always the, the hope of my fellow cast members and whatnot, you know, it's always the main goal, animals first conservation, get that message out there. So yeah, it's, it, it honestly was, uh, gosh, at the risk of being super cheesy, it, it was a magical type of thing. <laughs> I like cheesiness. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Now, uh, you know, I think a, a lot of our listeners may know you from the uh, Disney Plus show, The Magic of Disney's Animal Kingdom. That was, uh, you know, kind of the big show that really took us behind the scenes at what goes on kind of day to day at Animal Kingdom. What, what was that like filming a show as you're kind of going through like your, your day to day, I mean, all of a sudden now you have cameras here following you around. Yeah. Um, I mean, was it just kind of business as usual or was there, you know, additional challenges to try to get, cause they definitely had a story that they were trying yeah. to kind of follow too, um, to kind of get those key story beats with it. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't, 
I will say it was not particularly challenging, quite honestly, you know, uh, <laughs> for me personally, because uh, we went about our day and our lives uh, as if the cameras were not there. Um, now, I, I'm not going to pretend like we didn't notice them. We clearly noticed. <laughs> we, we knew the cameras were there. Um, and, and, you know, we got a microphone put on every day. So uh, there is always a, an adjustment period, right? You most people are not used to cameras following them and having a microphone on them all the time. And uh, so that took a brief period of getting used to. But to be honest, um, if, you, if you've been to where the vet hospital is at Animal Kingdom, there's a giant window there. Um, viewing window. We've never at, been lucky enough to catch anything there. Oh my god! <laughs> so goodness. mad. To, uh, the best time is usually in the mornings. That tends to be when most of the stuff happens. Okay. We'll bet we'll be lying <laughs> there in January when we're <laughs> we're there. Um, but yeah, so working as a veterinarian for the Walt Disney Company at Animal Kingdom, you're very used to people looking at you all the time. You have a, a big window where anyone who's interested can watch you do your job. And we, um, at least while I was still there, we had a microphone that we were able to interact with the guests and answer questions, tell them a little bit about what we were doing that day and about that species. Um, and so even before the magic of Disney's Animal Kingdom, there was always that inherent part of uh public education, guest education, interacting uh, with people and telling them the story of what we do. Um, so that it kind of lends itself really well to making a TV show because we're kind of used to people looking at us. You didn't have to worry <laughs> about the camera because you're just used to it. So it really, it wasn't too much of, uh, it, I really don't have any memories of the process that are negative at all. They're all positive. Um, the, it was super fun to work with a whole new group of crew of people. Um, you know, we have our, our regular team there that does the animal care and the animal health. And now we had a bunch of new people that were around who were super fun to hang out with and, um, spend our day with. And then, um, I think honestly, the, the weirdest part of the whole thing was then seeing myself on a tv screen right <laughs> like that no one prepares you for how different you sound first of all yeah. that's not mm -hmm. my voice and it I, I just don't do great watching myself on uh tv i i enjoy and would gladly be involved in uh making those types of shows i think they're phenomenal and love it but i don't need to watch myself on tv <laughs> <laughs> well you presented yourself very well because after watching it you were the vet we that really stuck out to us and you know we'd go to animal kingdom and joke around and be like where's dr dan we have to find dr dan <laughs> well I, I gotta say i mean from from the show the one thing i remember is it seemed like every week you were checking another animal that was pregnant. Yeah. It just seemed like there was you constantly were... babies and they were always calling yes, you in. You were the ultrasound guy. Yeah. So, so I was thinking when you're talking specialties, I'm like, is he, you know, is he the baby that's, doctor? That's what here? I thought so... you were going to say that the hoof thing was the giraffe in the beginning. I remember that, but the, you did a ton of uh, ultrasounds. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, the reality is we, 
we all do a lot of ultrasounds um right. and there's there are you know there's a lot of animals that are pregnant um we love showing those moments right because they're super exciting right. um there's a lot of opportunity to have people relate with the animals right either either if they've had children themselves or um, they're familiar with the process it's very easy to be relatable and, oh wow they're having a baby too so um Yes, uh, there were multiple scenes with me ultrasounding animals and, and <laughs> diagnosing them as pregnant, but uh, I certainly wouldn't consider that to be that to be like my main specialty. <laughs> how how um, over what period of time was that filmed? Was that like over a year? Was that a short period? Oh, if I remember correctly, it was uh, about a six month period or so. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think it was about that long. I could be slightly okay. off. Yeah, because yeah. they did fall. I mean, to, to your point, I mean, a, a lot of the animals are having yeah. babies, and they, you know, they kind of follow them through. I was gonna say so. we could easily do that by talking about the gestation period of the different animals and figuring <laughs> out if they had the baby on the show or not. Yeah, yeah. and you yeah. know, there were periods of time where, even though um, maybe the official filming was no longer ongoing, uh, they would they would come back and check in and things. Yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah, what what becomes a relatively short story over the course of an episode, you know, has months and months worth of film that they've been following what is your interaction with like the trainers so i think we saw some of this mm -hmm. on you know the, the the magic of disney's animal kingdom show and i'm sure you still have that interaction mm -hmm. you know in any zoo but but what is that kind of working relationship like yeah there seems like there's a ton of collaboration there there is there is it's it's actually really important that that collaboration occurs um i constantly tell the wildlife care specialists, zookeepers, you know, what, what have you, um, how important they are to me doing my job well. I need them because they're my eyes and ears. They are the ones that are interacting with all of these animals on a daily basis. You know, they, they see them in the morning, in the afternoon. They see them every time they feed them. They, they know that that particular animal likes to eat that particular food item first. And if it doesn't, that's a red flag. So there are, there's really no way for me to adequately replace the information that a, a keeper who has that bond with that animal, that knows that animal, you can't replace that information um, from the, from the clinician's perspective. So we have to have a great working relationship. Um, and, um, you know, from the standpoint of training in particular, it's really important that the veterinarians and the uh, individuals on the animal health team are working closely with the people who are doing the training because we'll have a sense of, oh, you know, this behavior might be a little bit more effective if the animal was a foot closer over here. Or, mm -hmm. you know, we might be able to tell them, well, for this species, it's really important that they are trained to do X, Y, and Z, because we know that in this species in particular, they have um, a certain health problem. So a good example mm -hmm. of that is our gorillas. Um, in general, gorillas do tend to have cardiac disease at some point in their life, mm -hmm. especially uh, male gorillas and especially over a certain age. So it becomes very important for those of us who care for the gorillas to um, have them interact and train so that we can do echocardiograms um, oh. and 
you don't want to have to anesthetize them every time you do that. Right. So you, uh, what's the answer? You train them so that they put their chest up against the mesh of the habitat. And so then the veterinarian or the uh, veterinary technician or whoever is running the ultrasound can actually put the echocardiogram transducer or the probe right on their chest. And you can take videos, you can take images, um, and you never have to sedate them or, or anesthetize them. But wow. none of that would be possible were it right. not for the really, really um, significant efforts that the trainers and the keepers put in every single day with those animals. Wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. So what are some funny or interesting encounters that maybe didn't make the show or just happen at some point in your career? Because I feel like every vet that you talk to, there's they always have one really funny story about how they had to do something that was insane. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I think, sure you have like a million, but I think you're probably right. I think most of us probably do have at least mm -hmm. one story um, because you know what? A animals are funny. Like they're, mm -hmm. they do funny things. Um, oh goodness. Well, the one that pops out of my head just because the, there's a visual, a mental image that goes along with it that I'll never forget. Um, <laughs> was not at Disney. Uh, it was at a different place that I worked. This was, this was before Disney. There's a, so there's a species called giant eland. I don't know if you guys are familiar with them. It's they're, like an antelope, right? They're, yeah, they're, so they're really large ungulates. They're, they're, I mean, as their name would imply, right? Giant eland. So they're very big. Um, and they have these enormously impressive horns. They're, they're these big spiral horns. Um, just, they kind of look like a kudu, right? Yes, they they have that. Yeah, they're even even bigger, um, okay. and their horns are are that much more massive. But yes, they they are similar, and um, they're just awesome animals, truly. And so uh, this eland, this giant eland's name was Big Joe, <laughs> and um, Big Joe lived in a, a a fairly large habitat with you know a lot of trees and shrubs lots of greenery everywhere and uh in this <laughs> on this particular day uh a member of the <clears throat> horticulture team had been doing some work in that area um but had not finished for whatever reason and uh unbeknownst to the regular care team that takes care of big joe uh they didn't know the that the horticulturist had not finished and so they uh they came by. I, I want to say it was early afternoon to check on to check on Big Joe, and uh, were quite surprised to find that he had a wheelbarrow lodged between his horns, like, <laughs> like on top oh, of his wow. head. Oh no! Stuck between the horns, like literally up in the air. Mm -hmm. Yeah, on top oh, of like gosh. like a hat almost. Oh, um, that's so funny. And it. It was funny. It was funny. It was hysterical until we realized, oh, oh, we, we have, have we have to get that off of there. <laughs> How are we going to get that off of there? And, you know, we I think probably a, a group of probably 15 to 20 people just stood there staring at Big Joe and, you know, trying to we we're probably willing him to, like, get the wheelbarrow off of his head somehow. You know, maybe he would dislodge it because they they in hindsight, we, we are pretty sure we know why this happened. So Eland and, and other um, horned animals, uh, they have a behavior where they'll, they'll tend to rub their horns in their head um, on dirt sometimes as well, like as a marking. Either they have scent glands or they'll, they'll rub that elsewhere. And this wheelbarrow 
we we believe had a bunch of stuff, you know, dirt and whatever else. So he probably was rubbing his head on it. Um, but, you know, no, nonetheless, we were in this predicament. And so uh, after what seemed like probably an hour of just staring at him, we, we finally said, OK, I guess I guess we should do something here. And so we did end up, uh, as so often happens with these stories, it's, you know, probably four o'clock in the afternoon. Everybody's ready to go home. And there we were getting ready to immobilize uh, a very large, very large mammal. And everything worked out well. You know, we 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 anesthetized him. It was actually fairly simple to remove the the. It was one of those things like probably never would have happened if we hadn't intervened. And then it only took like a minute to remove it out of there. So you know, as any good veterinarian does, you take an opportunity and you you know we took some blood samples. We made sure he was up to date on all of his regular health checkup stuff and woke him up and and everything was good to go. Um, and I wish that was where the story ended. <laughs> Oh, However, so we went home feeling quite accomplished. We came back in the next day, and I think it was probably within 30 minutes of arriving that I got a radio call uh, to come look at Big Joe. And so I go out there, and lesson learned, <laughs> just because you think you've solved a problem, make sure that you're thinking of every possible scenario. Well, wouldn't you know, there was a very large garden hose now tangled all around his horns. <laughs> oh, so I guess... Oh, no. uh, he was just trying to help out. Yeah. yeah, he was cleaning up. He was cleaning up. Yeah, we, we failed to uh, notice that in addition to the wheelbarrow, there was a, a green hose that blended in well with the grass. And so it wasn't removed. And he found it overnight and decided to play with it. And so he had a big nest of garden hose. <laughs> It yeah. was it was extra animal enrichment. That's what it was there for. <laughs> exactly. He maybe he was enriching us. I'm not sure. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, uh, you know, kind of going in the vein of you know these great stories. Do you have like a greatest success story? Something that you're really proud of that you know maybe was a dire situation that you were able to kind of turn around, or um, just something that you were really proud of that you'd like to share? Yeah. You know, um, I, I think. I think most, if not probably all veterinarians have, um, have some cases where they, you know, they really feel as though they've made a difference. Um, and, and I do, I can think of some cases where there was, there was truly an animal that was in, in a bad situation, uh, much worse than big Joe's, um, and <laughs> that I was able to help them through. Uh, however, I think, you know, for a long time, if someone asked me what I felt my greatest accomplishment was, I would say passing that that board certification exam, you know, becoming mm -hmm. a board certified zoo vet. Um, because in re at the time that I passed, I think there were less than 200 of us in the whole world. Um, oh, wow. Wow. I think I was like 173 or something like that. I could look on my... 178 is what it says on my certificate. I just checked. Oh, wow. um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, and I do, I still am extremely proud of that. Um, however, you should be. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, however, I think now what I've come to realize is um, I am very proud of that, but that only set me up for then whatever I'm going to do for the rest of my career as a zoo vet, right? It's the first step is become mm -hmm. a zoo vet. Okay, check. Mm -hmm. Now, what am I going to do with that? Um, it's one thing to be proud of becoming one, but it's got to be something else, right? So I think, you know, what I would say now is um, just to go back to what I talked about earlier in terms of ultra specializing, I am very proud of where the the hoof care of animals in places that I've worked, um, taking it from, from one place and then 
uh, bringing it to a whole nother place in terms of improving the overall quality of care and, and not even just the quality, but uh, helping people understand what it means to take care of hoofed animals and um, training them so that they can participate in their own care, right? That, that, that Kenya video was just a small example. Like I was going to say the giraffe was all you then. Yeah. Well, not, don't have... not all me, you know, it's, <laughs> well, it's... <laughs> right. You know, the, the trainers, of course, but like mm. that, the idea to not have to put them under to, you know, take, take care of their whole hooves. Yeah. Right. Was that was something that they had to do prior to you? And then they got trained her to do that. Yeah. I mean, in, in general, if uh, in most places, especially historically, you, if you have a really bad problem with a giraffe's foot, either you're going to do anything you can to try to see if they'll uh, get out of it on their own, or you're going to have to anesthetize it. Nowadays, uh, as we've progressed and we've um, had a better understanding of what can be done, uh, now you can trim a giraffe's foot without having to even sedate it, right? You're, you mm-hmm. just train them, they come in the shoot. And, and you know, we weren't the only ones and aren't the, aren't the only ones to have done that. Other zoos are doing things like that. But um, it's important that you take, even if you think you're doing something really well, and, and you may be, it's important never to stop looking for better ways to do it. Because there's nothing inherently wrong with anesthetizing a, a giraffe or any animal in order to take care of it, right? Sometimes you have to. Um, and it's better to take care of their feet than to not take care of them. That's for sure. Right. Um, but it doesn't mean you can't do it even better, right? Finding a way mm-hmm. to do it awake is certainly prefer- preferable. So I'm I'm really proud, and it's certainly not just me. I, <laughs> I have had always, everywhere I've worked, I've had a really strong team of individuals who are dedicated, passionate, and and work really hard in order to make those animals' lives the best possible lives. Um, and so there were and are numerous people who um, are still at Disney who are extremely passionate about hoof care, mm-hmm. and they're, they're still training Kenya to this day. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I'm very proud that I've left a little bit of a of a footprint, hoofprint, a little bit of a hoofprint. <laughs> there you go. Um, I like it on on Disney in that way, but it's it's also not something it, that's unique to Disney. You know, we're we're trying to do the same stuff here. Um, there's a, a giraffe out here that we're a, a large bull giraffe that we're working with uh, multiple times a week to trim feet. Um, there are uh, people who are not necessarily working for one particular zoo, but working in their own organization called the Zoo Hoofstock Trim Program. And their whole goal is to bring the knowledge and skill set to various zoos and keepers and veterinarians to say, hey, you can do this too. You can do this at your institution and be able to trim all these animals' hooves awake. So yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of that because it's, again, it's sort of the niche that I settled into and found, but it's provided me um, a way to feel like I'm making a difference, not only to the individual animals' lives who are, let's say they're, they have a sore foot and they're limping and they need a hoof trim, um, but also to the the species and to the industry of 
zoo animal care. Um, I, f- I feel like that's extremely important. So I hope to continue growing it. I'm uh, Just like I said about the board certification, I'm not going to stop here. Um, so maybe if we talk again, like in 10 years or something, um, you'll ask me again, and I'll have a new thing. But right now, that's what I'm most proud of. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's really amazing. And, yeah. and kind of hearing that insight, because I don't think, I know at least for me, and I'm sure a lot of people don't really appreciate all that really goes into caring for those animals. Mm-hmm. Like I, I wouldn't think of, hey, you have to think specifically about their hooves or, you know, you mentioned, you know, some people specialize in dentistry and just, or even like what you mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, training the gorillas for, you know, the heart uh, kind of monitoring, just mm-hmm. all that, all that goes into that. I mean, I, I don't think you really appreciate that when you go to a zoo, you see the animals and you're kind of like, oh, it's cool. The animals are here, but you don't know yeah. all that time and dedication that really goes into keeping them healthy and keeping them there so that you can, you know, interact with them and learn about them. So that's, that's really insightful. Yeah, it's, you're right. It's, there is so, so much happens behind the scenes um, on, on a minute to minute basis, really. And, and I think most people probably have a general understanding and, and knowledge of the fact that the people that are taking care of the animals at the zoo truly do care for those animals they they mm-hmm. want the best for those but they they probably don't think about what that means so what right. does it mean mm-hmm. to really care for an animal and then have it need uh, a checkup at the doctor you know um m- millions of people have pets in their house and you know for a lot of those people those are their their family those are their kids their, their fur mm-hmm. babies you know um <laughs> And so we have three. So yeah, we have three. Yeah. And and so like the human animal bond is so exceptionally strong in a lot of in a lot of scenarios, um, that it it's why wouldn't those keepers have the same type of bond with the right. animals they care for? Mm-hmm. Um so what yeah, what I try to highlight is well, that care then manifests as this excellent health care and, and how we do that. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned you're now with the San Diego Zoo. How is that different or maybe very similar to what you were doing at Disney? Again, we kind of talked earlier about, you know, Disney's a theme park, but it's very, it's not really a theme park. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, it's kind of a zoo. So w- what is it like now being at the San Diego Zoo? Yeah. So um, in, in a lot of ways, it's similar, right? The, the fundamentals of what my, my job uh, is are, are similar, um, but there are differences. I mean, um uh, so most of my time is spent up at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park, um, okay. which is just about 20, 30 minutes north of the San Diego Zoo. If you guys have never been, uh, the animals that live here are, there are a lot of hooved animals here. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably the best way I can put it. We have um, vast field exhibits of um, antelope and gazelle and mixed species um, habitats where, you know, giraffe are living with zebra and uh, rhinos and things like that. So um, a lot of the species that I work with are the same or similar, um, but there are also new ones. So that's exciting. Uh, You know, there's a platypus here, which is the only place in the United States. Um, Oh man, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. So, um, there, you know, there are some, some things are the same, some things are different. Uh, you know, obviously I'm working with a whole new crew of, of people here, but just like at Disney, it's a crew full of people who just really, all they really care about are the animals and, and doing a good job here. Um, that's what the beauty of working in this type of 
an industry is everyone is there for the same reason. Um, and mm-hmm. so even when you go from one place to another, the faces change, but the the hearts, you know, the things that drive them are the same. Um, so you can actually fall into like, it's sort of, you. I don't know, the more things change, the more they say the same type of thing. You, you think you'll be totally out of your element and, oh my gosh, I'm not going to know how to do anything. But it, I, it was actually a pretty quick transition for me here. Nice. I really like the um, the surprise at San Diego. We we've never been to the safari park, but the surprise for me at the the zoo, the main zoo part, was the Tasmanian devils. Oh yes, I was enamored by them because I'd never seen them before. I don't even think we saw them when we went to Australia, um, mm-hmm. but they were so cute. <laughs> like I wasn't expecting them, and they were really interesting and constantly moving around. At least whenever we were there, I. I found myself like, eh, I could take or leave the pandas, but I was way into <laughs> the Tasmanian devils. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You you may go to a zoo thinking, okay, I really want to go see the giraffe. And then all of a sudden you discover a species you didn't even know existed mm-hmm. and much less that you would really love. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. The zoo is amazing. Um, occasionally I'll go down to the zoo um, and they're, they have their own whole team of veterinarians down there. So we've, we've got a very large team out here. I, I can imagine. Yeah, it's a, big zoo, it's a so. very big zoo. Yeah. <laughs> so we like to ask our guests some of their kind of favorites when it comes to Disney. So a couple kind of quick rapid fire ones here. <laughs> so who's your favorite Disney character? Ooh. So uh, this was... Um, I will exclude Marvel uh, because I am I'm really I do like the Marvel um, cinematic universe. So, <laughs> okay. but uh, one of my favorite Disney movies is The Emperor's New Groove, um, okay. and and I uh, like I can't. How can you not love Kronk? Like he's <laughs> he's just so hilarious. He's one of my favorites. But that that movie mm-hmm. in general is probably one of, if not my favorite, Disney animated movie. Have you seen the new Thor movie since you're a fan of the MCU? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Oh, um, so <laughs> I have, uh, I've caught up with everything else, including Miss Marvel. Um, but I have okay. not seen the new Thor yet. Okay. Nice. All right. No spoilers. Yeah, then, but it's good. We, yes, good. please. We, no, we please enjoyed no. it. <laughs> we enjoyed it. We're big fans of Taika Waititi. We, we Same. Him. Yes, I am as well. What is your favorite ride in the Disney parks? Oh, <sighs> You know, you're killing me here, too, because I already said that I'm terrible at picking favorites just in everything. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to say Tower of Terror. Well, that's a good one. That okay. is a good one. I know that it's, you know, fairly straightforward, right? Up, down, up, down. But at the mm-hmm. theming, the story, I think I'm going to go with that. And do you prefer the Disney World version or do you prefer the uh, Disneyland version? I, I have been on the Guardians of the Galaxy version. Mm-hmm. I think I prefer... I think I prefer Tower of Terror. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they're almost like different rides. Like they're, they're yeah, yeah. so cool. Both of them are really cool. And I, I do, I tend to really like Halloween related things as well. So Tower of Terror checks that box for me of yeah. sort of the yeah. scary stuff. That's a good one. Haunted Mansion too. You're True. Mansion I am a big fan of the Haunted okay. Mansion. Yep. Last favorite here. Favorite park. You don't have to say Animal Kingdom <laughs> if you don't want to. Oh man. Um, Maybe maybe we tell you don't pick Animal Kingdom. Yeah. What's your favorite park beside, like outside Thanks. of that? I appreciate you. That thanks for the uh, the rescue there. Um, <laughs> I'll say Epcot. I I, I think okay. 
Epcot would give Animal Kingdom a run for its money anyway, um, because I think those two, even as a kid, those were my two favorites. So uh, I'll say Epcot for for a whole bunch of reasons. And I'm uh, it's killing me that I haven't been back there since they've opened any of the new stuff either. And they're similar. I mean, I think those parks are similar in that they're about education somewhat. I know Epcot's veered away a little bit about from that, but you have the seas pavilion, the land pavilion. I mean, it definitely is around. There's that conservation message uh, as well, similar to animal kingdom. So, right. And then, you know, if, if there's any kids listening to this that want to do what you do, what do they need to, you kind of already went into this a little bit, but what do they need to go into? Um, where do they, where's a good place to study? You know, what path would, would be a good one for them to follow? Yeah. Well, I mean, first things first, I will say there, there's no single path that's correct. Um, so more than anything else, don't give up. Um, because even if you're taking a either unusual or um, perhaps challenging path to get to that end goal, um, you, you can still get there. Um, so that's the first thing I would say. But, you know, I think that certainly um, you need to be able to be interested in animal science, right? You need to have at least some interest in sciences in general. So um, for kids that are in school, Make sure you're paying attention to your science teachers and your science classes. Um, can, can you say that again? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, even more important, not just science, but just in general learning, right? We mentioned that before that you, you cannot be an excellent veterinarian if you just stop learning as soon as you graduate from vet school. It's just not possible. And so you have to be interested in learning and be curious. I, I think that asking people why and asking people how is a really good skill to have. Um, figuring out how to ask how in the appropriate way is an even better skill. But, um, you know, just because you learn something, don't take it at face value. Find out why that thing happens. The other thing I would say is it's very easy to think about what that end goal is, right? That I want to be a zoo vet or, you know, whatever your goal is. But don't forget about all those steps in between. I always tell um, vet students. So these are students that are, they've already done all of this stuff to get into vet school. And they just want nothing more than to be a zoo vet someday. But I always remind them, you know, you cannot get there until you have mastered the fundamentals first. You have to make mm -hmm. sure that you're paying attention to all of those building blocks. Even if you know what the end goal is, you can't skip all of those steps in between. You have to do everything stepwise and learn all that stuff first. So again, listen to your teachers, do your homework. <laughs> um, and again, be curious, ask questions. Great Excellent. advice. Yeah, yeah gr great advice. Excellent. And uh, you know, it's a great discussion. Uh, again, Dr. Dan, really appreciate having you on the show. Thank you, yeah, thank you uh, for so talking much. With, with us today. That was really great. Oh, uh, you're was. more than welcome. This is uh, this has been a lot of fun. I love doing these things. I love talking to people about all of these topics. So um, it's been my pleasure as well. All right. I want to thank Dr. Dan again for joining us. Uh, want to thank everybody again for listening as well. If you've not done so, please subscribe. Leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast. It really helps and we really appreciate it. Thanks for lending us your ears. Have a great week, everybody. And we'll see you here next Monday. Bye-bye.